You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. Here are your hosts, Jay Fennell and Paul Wilkinson. Uh, hello once again, and welcome to another week of the Living Scent Podcast as we work through uh, the Living Scent sermon series that are being preached on all of our campuses and also, our life groups are working through the Living Scent curriculum. Obviously, there's alignment there. And so, as we begin, the question I have for Jason today to get our conversation started is this, Jason. Can you understand the message of the Bible without first understanding the mission of God? And I know that's a question that uh, Tom Wolf likes to ask churches, pastors, um, so we give him some credit on for that question for sure, but kick us off. Yes. What are your thoughts? That's great. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and for our, for our listeners, if you don't know who Tom Wolf is, I think probably some of you do. He pastored the church on Brady, uh, which it used to be First Baptist East LA or First Baptist LA or something like that anyway, um, became the church on Brady. And Scott Harris, our missions pastor, likes to say that 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 church family, I think it, I think the largest they ever grew was about 500, but and yet they had 12% of their people engaged in cross-cultural missions, and so they're members. And so anyway, he definitely um he's kind of a legend among a lot of folks that do international missions. But the question uh, I think is pretty it's pretty important because it's very fund it's very foundational to um, how and why we would read the Bible. And I, and, and I, it's funny because I think for a lot of people, um, well, for all, probably everybody who's listening to this, right? Like reading the Bible is pretty significant. I mean, that, you know, I'm not trying to be silly when I, I would say it's, it's fairly important. Just like slightly <laughs> important, right? So, so, you know, I think what Tom tries to get at is you, you don't have to become a person who can parse every single verse of the entire Bible to understand the Bible. In fact, you could become that and possibly miss the message. But if you try to see what God's really up to, in in other words, instead of trying to pick it apart, if you try to see the story of it, it it probably is going to come to life in a way and, 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 and even help you see your own story in a way that you wouldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so what Tom really has been over the years, for many years now, he's he's uh, 72 now. And um, for, for, for over the years, he has tried to help people understand, look, you won't get the mission of God. You won't become, an, you won't understand the mission of God even if you don't read the scriptures. But, but if you... Just try to read the scriptures without looking for that overarching story of the mission of God. You'll miss what the message of the, of the Bible is about. You know, so, cause, and, and I say that it goes back to what we were talking about last week. We, we can make, we can make the Bible into a nice moralistic guidebook. And if we do, we miss its purpose. Um, you know, we miss that it's the story of a God that, himself became a missionary in essence who became a sent one yeah. and 
you know, we, we miss why he did that. We miss how he had that plan before he even made us, which even highlights his love. We, we miss the varying metaphors that come into that story, like the fact that he's a good king, the fact that he's a mighty warrior, the fact that he's a loving groom, the fact that he, you know, we could go on and on. And I think it's important for our folks to understand, you know, if you read the scriptures just for you, in other words, for your own development. And that's it. If you don't read it, trying to really understand the overarching story of what God is up to and what he's invited you and uh, you and me into, right? If I'm, I'll miss what the real message is if I don't look for that. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think that's what Tom's tried to get at over the years. And so I'll, I'll give you one practical big exercise. So for example, if you've never done this, Take a month or two and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with one question in mind. How did Jesus make disciples? Right? That's an example of, am I, am I, am I catching what the story of what he really was up to? Right? Or am I picking it apart into these, all these little individual segments, trying to get a nice moralistic nugget out to apply to myself? Right? Because I, I ought to read the Bible for not only for me, but for the person that I am desperate and eager to share its overarching good news with, right? I, I don't need to just read the Bible for me. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I think there's a there's a formative aspect, obviously, to reading the scriptures and the 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 uh, spiritual formation and spiritual development that it provides in our own hearts as we develop, continue to develop a biblical worldview as we see the world through the lens of scripture. But not just sit there, right? I mean, that it that we move out and we we fully understand the mission of God, as outlined in the scriptures, His redemptive plan all throughout, even from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, and that that so it's not just to read it as devotional material, but to read it as a uh, what would you say? Read it as a... Um, yeah, read it. I mean, to say, I, at the risk of sounding like a simpleton, read it like the most epic story you've ever read that's not fiction and that you actually got invited to be a part in. Yeah. Right? Like you, you know, if you if you can read it like that, you know, all the... Like if, so there, there's an acronym. Maybe we can give it on one of... Uh, in fact, it's in the, it's in the curriculum. There's an acronym I use a lot when I equip people for Bible reading. It just simply is the acronym makes sense. And, and so every letter has kind of a, 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 an element of how we can, um, how we can, uh, engage the scriptures. And I'm trying to remember which lesson it's in. That sounds awful, doesn't it? But, uh, you should remember, know these things. Can't remember right off the top of my head which lesson it's in. But, um, all that to say, Part of that is the first M for make sense stands for meta narrative, right? It's this greater story. That's a fancy word for the big story of God, right? And so if you read it, like it's this, it's why a chronological Bible, for example, like the one Dr. Dr. Guthrie put together called, called, uh, reading God's story. It's why, um, that matters. It's why the Sally Lloyd Jones, uh, Jesus storybook Bible. You know, matters. It's on page one oh four. That's right. Right. In the How last, did you know that? That's amazing. I know that? Yeah. Golly. Nobody looked that up while we were talking. So, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so so yeah. Page one oh four in the curriculum. You can find that. And 
I hope if you get, if you do take a look at that, it'll encourage you as you're engaging the scriptures to take it not only in its part, but in the sum of its parts. Yeah, that's a really important key uh, when reading the scriptures. Why did Jesus call us to pray for workers into the harvest, which comes from Matthew 9, mm-hmm. where Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So the question, Jason, is why did Jesus call us to pray for workers? And then will we become answers to that prayer? So did was it uh, was the intention that... We would we would be praying, but also be answers to them prayer that we pray. Yeah, so it's a great way to ask it. So C.S. Lewis, uh, and I'll probably botch the quote, but but he, um, if uh, for our listeners, maybe they saw the movie, maybe they saw the movie Shadowlands, but um, with Anthony Hopkins playing C.S. Lewis, the quotes in that movie is why I say that, but. But uh, he has he's he's known for saying that prayer doesn't so much change God as much as it changes me, and that's obvious, right? I, I'm not trying to say people question that, but it still is a very profound statement because what it's saying is is that even when I pray things that really matter that aren't just like you know hey I pray that my dog's foot gets better today right like. You know, like even when I pray things that seem of utmost significance, it's still not going to give God any good ideas. Like it, ultimately, it's going to tune me into what he's already up to. Mm. And so, you know, I think Jesus, in some ways, I believe he calls us to pray this prayer. And I, the reason there's two reasons I say this, and I, which I'll give them scripturally. Um, I think but the biggest reason he calls us to pray this prayer is to help us tune in to what God is up to. Which is the sending his people among the harvest to help others uh, among the world, among the darkness, the way he sent his own son into the darkness to help others discover that light, right? To come out into the open, to come out of their shame and insecurity and sense of condemnation and many other descriptors that we can put upon it and come out into the open, into the light with him. Um, so in that Matthew 9 context, Early in the chapter of Matthew 9 is when Jesus is partying at Matthew's house and the and the Pharisees criticize him. And he basically says to him, hey, I didn't come for those of you who don't think you need the goodness of God. I, I didn't come for the healthy. Right. I came for the sick. I came for those who are actually desperately crying out for God and his goodness to come sh- to show up to them. And what he's not saying there, in my opinion, is that he didn't come for the Pharisees. I think he did. I mean, he clearly, some of them he called and they just responded. But I think what he's saying is if you keep thinking that you don't need the goodness of God and you're just, you're good on your own and God owes you something, right? Then you think you're healthy. Why would you look for something else? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and, and so it's almost like there are, but there are this people though that are eager and waiting for someone to show up. And say, no, I know, I care about the fact that you're sick. And the God that I serve and that has served me and given me my own identity and healed me, he has sent me to give you the message that brings wholeness and healing. And so I think that's a piece of it. And then right after he prays this prayer, 
At the beginning of Matthew 10, he calls the 12 disciples. So you have on the bookends of this prayer, you have him giving this illustration of, here's what the son interacting with those who are, quote unquote, the sick, right? At Matthew, the tax collector's house, and the Pharisees off to the side criticizing him, saying he's a glutton and a drunkard. But he's showing us how to go take the message of the gospel into our world, right? To engage and then he, on the flip side, he calls these 12 to do it. I think he calls us to pray that prayer more than anything else to help us tune in mm-hmm. to this thing that God's really up to, but he's invited us into. Yeah, and I would say that the more and more we pray that prayer, the more and more we come to the reality of just how in need people are yeah. for the gospel. No doubt. Right? I mean, he himself, in verse 36, is walking through and he he, the Bible says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Yep. He saw their lostness That's right. and saw how they were wandering in the darkness that burdened his heart. Yep. So the more that we pray for workers for the harvest field, I think the more our hearts become burdened for those who need Christ. No question. You know, and, and I, I love what you said because the that sense of compassion, right? We ought to be so compelled by the level of compassion that was given to us in our own need yeah, to want to go and give that same message of, and that good news to others. Uh, one thing that people, and I don't think we overlook it necessarily because I've heard teachers teach about it, but I don't want us to miss that he says right there in that statement that the harvest is plentiful. Yeah. I just don't want us to miss that because the implication is that they're waiting for us. And, and and I like how David Platt says, there's no plan B. Plan A is that we actually go make disciples. There's not a plan B. So if we botch plan A and we don't go like, and that's what that's, again, we talked about it last week, how in Romans, that's what Paul's saying to the, the, the Roman Christians. Hey, don't miss this. Yeah. Right. In Romans 10, don't, don't, don't get so focused on your own improvement and righteousness that you miss the mission of God. You are sent. Yeah. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, mm-hmm. right? There's not another plan. This is the plan. And so I think for our listeners, let's, let's engage. Let's become an answer to that prayer. And the fact that's mind-boggling to me, Jason, is that in this plan A, that he would choose to use humanity. Yeah. To be a part of what he wanted to do to save a world. It's crazy. Right? It's I mean, he crazy. didn't have to use humanity, did he? I mean, he could have just... No. Any knows. other means. He, he could have done it another way. But here's what I love, and I'm not trying to just give another plug for life groups for you. It, it's why life groups matter. Because you can't learn the gospel outside of community. You can't learn forgiveness outside of friendship. You can't learn reconciliation outside of broken relationship. You can't learn what grace looks like given to one another. He, he It's almost like he created us to know because he does love us and he wants us to know that we're his beloved. And then he wants us to go love one another out in the middle of people who don't realize how loved they are so that they can also understand and see it themselves. Yeah. What resurrection and love and life was really intended to be. Mm. Strong stuff, man. It's good. Yeah. He's good. And I want to start today, Jason, with something that you write on page 34 in the curriculum. And I'm just going to read that. And it may be fairly provocative to some people who hear it. And But I'm going to give you, obviously, opportunity to kind of unpack it a little bit, help us understand. <laughs> All, right. You, all right. 
So this is what it says. It's under the topic in church or in Christ. And, and it says this, you write, the first lie is that it is important to be in church. For example, people will say things like such as, quote, Johnny is doing so much better now because he's back in church, end quote. We didn't intend to do it. We just got deceived. But, but we now have an American church culture in which being in church matters more than being in Christ. And then you say, don't misunderstand. Every believer needs to be in church. But if he or she is in Christ first, then he or she is in church for the right reason, serving in Jesus' name, both in and outside of the church. Unpack that a little bit for us in more detail so that we fully understand exactly what you mean by that. Because I can imagine that for so many of our listeners, that might be sound fairly controversial, especially in the way that they've been, quote, trained and brought up uh, in the church. Yeah, so in, in the context of that is I'm trying to kind of unpack what, like you said, the first lie. So there's two lies that I suggest that we've kind of bought into. Yeah, which I didn't, which I did not read. <laughs> I apologize for that. No, 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 that's good. That's All good. Right. That's good. So, you know, the, the two, I suggest that there's two lies we've bought into that have kind of confused us with regard to our identity in Christ and the, and the mission that God's really called us into. And, um, one of them is this idea that being in church matters more than being in Christ. Again, I would contend that we didn't mean to do that. I, I, I don't. I don't know that anyone woke up and, and one morning and said, "Hey, uh, we're going to make it matter more that you show up to a building and show up to church activities and show up to be whatever." You know, you fill in the blank there. We're going to make it more important to be quote unquote in church than to be quote unquote in Christ. And even that phrase in Christ, it's, it's famous to Paul's writings. I mean, that's where we see it repeated over and over and over again. So it's clear that Paul really wanted to emphasize this identity piece, right? Like that we are in Christ. And so, you know, making sure that we understand, right? Like, like that's who I am. I am Jason Dukes in Christ. That's what the cross and its finished work has made me to become. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that even that news is what I become a fisher of men to share, right? Like I I want to help other people know that they have that same amazing identity. And and the, this the, the king of kings lets us have his name, lets us be in on his family, shares his daddy with us if you will. I mean like this that's the beauty and the richness of this for we who are lost and wandering. And, and, and so, but what we've done is we've almost got it backwards. Like we've made it more important. So in, especially in like 1950s, for instance, there was a campaign called a million more in 54. Great, great intent, right? We want to see a million baptisms in 1954 and they saw it. I don't think they ever saw it again after that, if I remember correctly in church history from church history, but but in that year, they did. I think it ended up being like 1.15 or 1.2 mil that were baptized. And so a pretty staggering number. Now, I don't know what all that meant. We don't really know all the implications of it. But one of the guys who mentored me in Orlando, he was the director of missions for the Greater Orlando Baptist Association. He was 60-something years old. And uh, this is when I was pastoring in Orlando. And, uh, he, man, he poured into me deeply. He was a very, very meaningful mentor. And as he was sharing his story with me one day, the, one of the first times we met, he said that he was a convert from a million more in 54. And I said, tell me about that. Because I had recently studied it for a writing project to try to understand the implications of what happened there. Right? Because what they were doing was noble. We want to see as many baptisms as possible. 
but it was driven by what became known as the church growth movement. And his first statement out of his mouth, my, the, his name's Bill Faulkner, this guy, the DOM. And uh, he said, first statement out of his mouth when I asked him that question was, it became clear to me over the first 10 years of my, of my faith in Christ, it became clear to me that most people that were pouring into me cared a whole lot more about, about me being in church than they did in Christ. Hmm. And he said, I, I, I began to realize that maybe that wasn't what this was all about and that I really had not been discipled in my identity in Christ. But I had been told a lot of really, a lot of really uh, busy things that I should be doing for God. Now, again, he's not. This is not. Don't take that dualistically, right? Don't think this is some either or. And right. he's not in any way trying to negate going to a Bible study, or he's not in any way criticizing being a, a part of it, being a church member. He's not in any way criticizing that. But the but the emphasis was more on engagement with church activities. Yeah. Than truly seeing fruit bore out in their life and then making disciples. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And so he admitted, he said, it wasn't until I was about 12 years old in my faith, you know, so 12 years after 1954, that he began to realize, man, I, I need to keep growing in how I understand my, the gospel and understand my identity in Christ, but I need to be helping other people yeah. discover that. And that's when it began to click for him. Like, hey, this is what this looks like. So when I say that, when I say, Hey, well, that first lie in church or in Christ, what I'm really trying to say is let's be careful because we're never going to make the, the bride of Christ prettier than the cross already did. We're, we're never going to make her so attractive that we'll just keep seeing the church grow and grow and grow and grow. And grow. we're never going to do that, right? The cross did what the cross did. And we need to not, we need to be jars of clay, as Paul says, and not try to steal from the incomparable power of the spirit within us. Mm. We don't need to beautify the jars so much that we think that's going to help a whole lot. Of, no, no, no. They're never going to be truly changed until they go have engagement with this power inside of the jar clay. Yeah. Right. And so I want to be in Christ and I'll be the church. And if I stress to people, let's keep discovering our identity in Christ. We'll see the church alive. Say that again about the church and the cross. The, 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 we will never make the bride of Christ, the church, prettier than the cross already did. Wow, that's good. We will never make the bride of Christ, the church, prettier than the cross already did. That's tweetable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, that's good. Uh, the, the section of the book here is on page 34 at the bottom, and, and the, the title or the subtitle is Safe or Sent. And this is what you write. You say, the second lie, the first lie, of course, was last week that it's important to be in church, right? The second lie is that the abundant life is being safe. In fact, the thief has many of us believing one of the most popular church cliches ever, and it's this. The safest place is to be in the middle of God's will. It's pretty, uh, I've heard that said before many times, sure. right? It's, it's the most... Comfortable, the, the safest, the best place to be is in the middle of God's will. Obviously the best, but definitely not the safest. Talk to us a little bit about about that. Unpack that for us a little bit. <coughs> so it's funny because I've often given the joke, you may not think it's that funny, but I've often said the joke that Jesus needed a new marketing director. <laughs> that is funny. Thanks. So... <laughs> 
the reason I've said that is because, you know, he, he basically looks people in the eye and says, hey, uh, follow me, come and die. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, uh, that's not great marketing, right? Like, I don't know that we're going to, you know, and, and I'm making a joke of it. And he lost a ton of followers. He sure did. Because of that. And, and so this idea that Christianity and being in God's will is a safe place to be. I, I don't think that everyone who has said that, I, I'm intentionally being provocative by making the statement that it's a lie that we bought into, but I'm being provocative for a reason, and that is because I think we, we really have bought into it. Like we, we, we often are more about, well, that couldn't be God's will, that's hard, or that couldn't be God's will, that's not safe, or that's not comfortable, or that must be what I'm supposed to do because I'm comfortable doing that spiritual gift. That's what you told me I was good at. Right. Or we see, or we get opposition. Yeah. When we feel like we're in the middle of God's will, doing what God has called us to do, we get opposition and then we think to ourselves, well, maybe this isn't God's will yeah. because of this opposition or persecution I'm, I'm getting. And, and it even goes back to our understanding of Christian growth. Cause in some ways, and Keller writes about this, Tim Keller, in some ways we think that if we do good stuff for God, that he'll kind of owe it to us, right? So, mm-hmm. so he'll bless and make it go well. And when really the, the promises of his blessings are more about us walking with him in his ways. And even there, it's not guaranteed safety. And, and so let's even, let's take, let's take, uh, let's take Hebrews 11, for example, right? That's where the author in Hebrews 11 takes it. He gives all these different stories in what we typically call the Hall of Fame of Faith. Yeah. And he goes on near the end to say, and not to mention the this person who was beheaded and this person who was beaten and this person who was, and he goes on to tell all these yeah. you know, and, mauled by lions. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and so you read you read even Jesus in John 14 and 16, telling through 16, and then also in Matthew 23 and 24, telling them, This is gonna be real hard. Like you yeah. you may lose your life. In fact, many of you are gonna be are going to drink in the same way of the cup that I drink from, right? You're going to lose your life for these reasons and and for this mission. And so it's not safe, right? We, you know, my mom and dad gave their entire lives to pour into other leaders. And when they were in, in, in 2009, they were run over by a car. And so my dad had to learn how to walk all over again. My mom passed away. And so we had, I mean, basically my dad got his eulogy before he died because all these people he had poured into as a pastor and as a seminary professor sent me and my brother notes about how much mom and dad meant to them. Wow. If anyone in my estimation didn't deserve to be run over by a guy with a suspended license who was blind in his right eye, they did. And they were right in the middle of God's will, but it's not safe. It's not safe. You you may lose your life on mission with him. You may have discomforts on mission with him. You may you may you may find yourself being persecuted because you're on mission with him. This isn't safe. You know, maybe a better way to say the statement would be the most secure place to be is in the middle of God's will. Because we are truly secure in Christ. We we truly can take the risks necessary to love like he has loved us. Because even he fully safe sitting on the throne in heaven, but he takes off his robe and crown, puts on human skin and comes right into the middle of us, into the darkness and ends up getting crucified, which he knew would happen. He wasn't murdered. He gave up his life, right? And so he knew that would happen. Even he gave up comfort Mm -hmm. for the sake of the mission. 
And so we've got to be careful that we're not buying into this idea that I want a good church that makes me happy, that does good things for me and makes me feel like I'm living a blessed life. No, no, no. If you're engaged in the mission of God, it might not be easy at all. And that's why we need each other as believers so that we can keep encouraging each other in the lack of safety, but in the intense and eternal security mm-hmm. that we have when we're in Christ. Yeah. And as a, as a life groups guy, you know, that's again, and you've mentioned it on, on previous uh, podcasts, the importance of being in community yeah. with people doing the same thing, <clears throat> that mutual encouragement, that building up, that pouring into others who are on mission because we get depleted. Yeah. Right. I mean, as we're, as the church scatters That's right. into a dark world, we are depleted. We're poured out. And, uh, and we, we, we've got to have the community, the encouragement of the community of God's people and the, and the encouragement of God's word to build us and to prepare us once again to be sent out into the, to the world around us. Yep. Nice. Dig it. All right, man. You know, we live in a pretty, we, we live in a goal oriented culture, right? Sure, I mean, we, sure. uh, here at our church, we set goals, uh, probably, uh, Many of our listeners uh, establish goals at work, have are held accountable to those goals. Maybe even in their families, they have personal goals or things like that. As we think about goal and setting goals um, or having goals, I don't know if many of us think about goals in our own spiritual lives. Hmm. What does that look like in our relationship with Jesus? Um, so my, my question to you is, what should be the goal of Christian life? Yeah. What's what's the goal of, of the things that I do as a follower of Jesus, some of the discipleship practices that I might would engage in? Uh what would you how would you answer that? What do you think the scriptures tell us that the goal truly is? Well, it's, it's interesting because you know, we often dissect the, the Bible into uh in, well, let me rephrase that. We the two the Bible is typically presented, obviously, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the two sections. But we often dissect them as almost two uh, very different parts, right? Like we, you know, you'll even hear people teach how the Old Testament's a different, such a different vibe and a different feel than the New Testament, and and there may be some elements of truth to that. Although I would say if we if we start to look for the overarching story, we will we'll see it more for what it really is. I say that because throughout the Old and New Testament, not just the New Testament, you see the answer to that question. You see it over and over and over and over again in the overarching story. And, and it's basically, the answer is basically twofold. Number one, so that someone, you and me, So that you and I might know God. So that we might know that he loves us, that we are known by him, and he wants us to know him. Right? He wants us, he wants us to be with him. So he names his son that even, right? God with us, Emmanuel. And, and from the very beginning, I mean, even Abraham's called a friend of God. Noah walked with God. Right, you see, you see this kind of language all the way throughout. David, a man after God's own heart. Sure, right, right. You see that type of stuff, and so it's clear that part of the goal ought to be that we know God, and we're and we know that He knows us. We walk 
in a relationship with him. But it doesn't stop there. It's, yeah, there's a comma on that. There's not a period, right? So the other side of that, the, the part of behind the comma, and again, it's throughout Old and New Testament. Because even when, even when Jesus, or when God made the covenant with Abraham, he talks about how it would eventually become a blessing to all the nations. Yeah. And then you see that kind of language repeated um, over and over and over and over again. You see it repeated in this idea that I'm calling my people, the Jews, when he called the Jews, I'm calling them so they can know me and so that the nations around them can know that I am God. Right. And, and you see it stated in different ways, hundreds of times in the Old Testament. But then you even see it more clearly in the New Testament because God himself puts on skin and shows up in the middle of us. And John 1.18 says that Jesus came to reveal, to make known who the Father really is to us. Right? That's the mission that he's given to us as well, to bring clarity and revelation, not new revelation, but just an, an, a better understanding of who the Father really is, that he's a good king and he loves us. This gospel message that God's always been trying to communicate to us, wanting us to know how loved we are and then to go help other people know that they're also loved. So the goal of our Christianity, if we call it that, or the goal of our discipleship practices or the goal of our spirituality in Christ it ought to be to know him and make him known. It ought to be to trust that I'm loved and help others to trust the same. It ought to be my own growing in Christ, comma, and then my helping others grow in Christ. It ought to be my discovering more and more and more my identity, security, and purpose, and helping someone else discover their identity, security, and purpose in Christ. It's always got to have that comma. It can't just result in the first part only, in the me Part. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jason, for uh, the great week, great conversation, uh, great, great uh, interaction around uh, some of the things that we're really processing, thinking through as it relates to the Living Sync uh, curriculum. So, man, grateful for your for your writing this, number one, but also grateful that you're joining us on these podcasts to unpack it a little further. Man, thank you. Thank you so much for let me be a part and thanks to the discipleship crew as a whole all of your team and steve layton and roger severino and that whole crew thank y'all for letting me be a part well we'll be back again next week monday on uh may the 15th and we're excited about another series another week of uh, interactions and questions and stuff like that so stay tuned and we'll see you next week thanks